Shalom and welcome everyone to the ICEJ webinar series. I'm David Parsons, one of the vice presidents and senior spokesman here with the International Christian Embassy Jerusalem, coming to you from our headquarters in the Israeli capital. We just appreciate everyone joining us. And we have, uh, actually, we're doubling down this week. We'll have two, uh, two webinars today on Wednesday. We have uh, two very special guests uh, who are uh, in IDF service right now, uh, dealing with the, uh, uh, the Israel's war with Hamas in Gaza. And tomorrow on Thursday, 3 p.m. Uh, Israel time, uh, we'll speak to Professor Avi Bell, uh, who is an international uh, legal scholar, a lecturer uh, on uh, international law. And he'll be talking about all these charges and accusations against Israel about war crimes and genocide in Gaza. And we're going to deal with those very forthrightly, very frankly, and in a very uh, professional way. But today, our uh, topic is uh, IDF progress in Gaza. The, um, Israel spent three weeks uh, in an air campaign following the horrific terror attacks of October 7th. They've spent three weeks in an air campaign uh, breaking down some of Hamas's defenses, their terror tunnels in Gaza. And then on October 27th, they started a, a ground incursion that divided Gaza in half and trying to deal with the northern half initially. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, with two uh, IDF officers about how that is going. Uh, is it uh, the according to plan, the timetable, and, and such, and get a better sense. The IDF is very controlled about the information that they put out, but uh, we're very happy to have two professionals with the IDF to uh, tell us where things are and where things uh, we can expect things to go. We have, uh, first of all, Luke. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan Conrikus. He's the IDF uh, international spokesman. And then we'll hear from uh, Major uh, Elliot Chadoff, uh, who is with the IDF Home Front Command in the north, but he's a 35-year veteran of the IDF and has done uh, training manuals, many other things, uh, uh, really uh, uh, proficient in quite a few areas. And he's been called up to serve in the IDF Southern Command along the Gaza border in a certain uh, unique and special role. But we're first going to go to my interview that uh, we just did earlier with uh, Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan Conrikus. Uh, again, he's uh, an international spokesman for the Israel Defense Forces. He first started out in the military in the Gavadi Brigade uh, before joining the IDF's uh, spokesman's office, where he's been a, a prominent uh, fixture for many years. You've seen him quite often on uh, international television channels. He ended his regular service with the IDF spokesman's office a couple years ago. He's been working as a security analyst for the Israel Defense and Security Forum and some other groups, uh, helping uh, analyze all sorts of security issues here in the region. But he was recently called back to duty during uh, this Operation Iron Swords, the IDF's effort to dismantle Hamas in Gaza. So let's go straight to my interview with Jonathan Kamraikis. 
Jonathan, it's great to have you on the ICJ webinar today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, David, for having me. A pleasure and honor as always. Yes. I just uh, checked probably one of the most updated maps on the fighting in Gaza, very intense. And it looks like a strategy to come down the coast from the north and to go in and up the coast to, to get to Shifa. I mean, is that uh, where the, the battlefront is right now? Well, I, I don't want to, uh, you know, give away what we're going to do, but I can say that you are, your assessment is a sound assessment. Uh, we understand that uh, Hamas has transformed the Shifa hospital into really a center of gravity and some kind of a headquarters. That is where we see Hamas sending its fighters. That is where we know that they're hiding underneath. And... Uh, you know, we could say this, our forces are closer to Shifa today than they were yesterday, mm -hmm. and tomorrow they will be even closer still. Very, very intense battle. Um, yes, uh, how surprised were you, going back to October 7th, how surprised were you at the enormity and the, the shock that they were able to pull off this, this mass terror attack on the border, and how upset were you uh, yourself as an Israeli? extremely upset, saddened, shocked. And I'll add that I was also ashamed, and I still am, the fact that uh, these terrorists were able to execute such a thing and that the organization, which I am extremely proud to be part of, the IDF, failed in its mission. It's the number one mission that we as a military have, and it hurts me to say it, but that is what needs to be said honestly the Chief of Staff has said it, Lieutenant General Hilti Alevi and, and many other officers have been straight and forthcoming. We failed on October the 7th, we failed on preparing for it, uh, and we are now on the long, long journey to rebuilding the trust of the Israeli population that we can and will defend them against any future threat. And the first stage, the first order of business is to dismantle Hamas. It's by no means the last order of business, but the first order of business is to dismantle Hamas militarily, politically, administratively, so that at the end of this war, there are no weapons, no organization, and no real military capability that can threaten Israel from uh, the Gaza Strip. And of course, to return the 242 Israelis being held hostage in Gaza. Okay, uh, the IDF carried out about three weeks of bombings to weaken Hamas, uh, blow up tunnels, uh, terror infrastructure, and now a ground offensive since October uh, 27th. I guess that's around 10 days or, or more, 12 days into this. How much progress has the, the IDF made in reaching its goal of destroying Hamas and the, the terror tunnels? We're making good progress and advancing according to plan. Uh, unfortunately, Hamas has had the better part of 20 years to prepare, really to build a city under a city under Gaza uh, with hundreds of miles of tunnels that they have built using international aid, including generous donations by Christian organizations that are well-intended for the well-being of uh, Palestinians in Gaza, and we know that cement, construction equipment, and many other things have been used by Hamas in order to build 
not schools, hospitals, places of worship, and uh, roads and clinics and houses, no, but to build their underground city of terror that they have built. It is sad and unfortunate, and that is why it is a significant challenge for us to deal with, because there is a lot of Hamas infrastructure, but we have a plan which is clear, and it has stages and uh, things that need to, need to be done. We are advancing according to that plan, which has a very sound logic to it, uh, and we are making good progress, despite the fact that it is a very difficult battleground, uh, lots of buildings, many opportunities for Hamas to emerge out of tunnels, attack our troops, and then uh, um, disengage quickly. So it's a challenging area, but we're learning, and we are adapting to that environment as we're advancing. We're making good progress, and what's important is that we have a very clear understanding of the aim, what needs to be achieved. Yeah. Um, yeah, it looks like a, a lot more investment underground than above ground. Uh, is is it uh, realistic that there's 500 kilometers, around 300 miles of terror tunnels under Gaza, or is that something of an exaggeration? What's the estimate right now? On the contrary, that is a very conservative estimate. That is, in fact, how much Hamas themselves have admitted that they have. Our estimates are more than that. Hundreds of kilometers uh, of uh, underground tunnel network under Gaza City, Rafia, Khan Yunus, and interconnecting. Uh, yes, this is uh, what we assess. And in each and every location that we come, and you can uh, see the video footage that we disseminate on Twitter and on Facebook and on our website, whenever we uh, engage with the enemy and take one of its compounds, then of course we uh, explore the underground. And today we dismantled, I think, four or five tunnels uh, after we fought Hamas in the area. Uh, as soon as we get there, we dismantle the tunnel so that there won't be any remaining infrastructure. But the Gaza Strip is full of it, full of mm -hmm. tunnels. Uh, that sounds like it's uh, more uh, tunnels underground there are, than there are paved roads above ground. That's uh, shocking to me. Do you have anything to share about the, the hostage situation? Anything you can tell us right now about that? Yeah, what I can say is that we are committed to getting all of them home, full stop. And we will uh, not spare any effort and whether it is materiel or risking the lives of our troops or diplomacy, whatever can be done will be done in order to get all of them home. It is extremely complex. It is a challenging situation, one that we've never faced before. But just as we are committed and focused on dismantling Hamas, we are equally committed and focused on getting the hostages home. We are collecting intelligence from many sources simultaneously. And I can share that the ground operations you know whenever you're in friction with the enemy that usually creates opportunities so the ground operations are so to say shaking the tree and we're collecting new bits and pieces of information that are aiding our capabilities to map and understand where they're being held and most importantly how we can get them out you know the intensity of the fighting around shifa and al-quds hospital may indicate that you're getting close there um, what can you tell our our uh, audience, Christian audience around the world, what links the IDF is going to to try and keep 
uh, civilians in Gaza out of harm's way. Yeah, I want to start with churches, even though churches are, I mean, it's a building and it's not human life, but any place of worship is a protected place. And I'm, I was very sad to see the cynical uh, use that Hamas was doing of many different churches in Gaza, uh, specifically firing rockets from closely uh, from those uh, the, the churches in northern Gaza, uh, Greek Orthodox and a few others. Uh, really asking for it to be struck, asking for it to be dis and uh, and for it to be or destroyed by us. We of course didn't do that, but then when we uh, uh, struck nearby, they created tried to create another fake event of mass casualties within the church and that Israelis are destroying. Once the lights came up or dawn broke and uh, people actually came there and were able to film, of course the lie was exposed. And uh, it became clear that not only had we not struck uh, the building, and it was in fact intact, but that there was only very minor damage to one of the perimeter walls. Now, we are doing a lot, everything we can, in order to distinguish between combatant and non-combatant, and calling on the non-combatants, the civilians, who have nothing to do with the fighting, to leave and evacuate the area. And we're not only calling, We've dropped leaflets, we have made phone calls, we have sent text messages, we have sent voice messages, and we continue to do so. These are in the millions, right? Yes, these are in the millions. Six million uh, uh, messages, 20,000 live phone calls, a, a million and a half flyers or pamphlets that we've dropped over uh, Gaza uh, over two weeks, two and a half weeks. Uh, and we continue to do that today. Today for the fourth consecutive day, while there is intense fighting ongoing in northern Gaza, we tell the Gazans that there's a window of movement between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m., and it will be safe for you from our perspective. We cannot vouch for what Hamas does, but from our fire, we will hold the fire temporarily, tactically, so that you can move south on the main throughway, which is uh, street, uh, Salah Hadin Street, which everybody knows. Go south to relative safety. We've done this now four days in a row. I anticipate that we will do it again tomorrow to try to allow additional Palestinians uh, to, uh, to leave to relative safety. The sad thing that we're seeing is that the Hamas is actively undermining these efforts. They're threatening people. They're using violence. They're blocking the roads. And they're simply not allowing Palestinian civilians to leave. Why? because they want them in the battle space. They want them as their human shields above their command posts and their tunnels. They know that once the civilians are away, then it's a different ballgame between us and Hamas. Then it's gloves off, and we will be pounding them until they are obliterated. And they, that, that's why they are keeping the civilians there against their way, which is a war crime, which is an act of barbarity and cynic atrocity, and uh, we are trying to get them out because we are not fighting the civilians, we're fighting Hamas. And our aim is not to kill civilians, it is to dismantle Hamas so that they'll never ever be able to repeat October 7th. Yeah, it was very dramatic footage we saw of, of around 5,000 uh, Gazans moving from the north towards the south on Saladin Street. And uh, I'd say historic. I don't think I've ever seen uh, so many Palestinians waving the white flag. It's something they don't do. And I think it shows there's a lot of people 
wanting to, uh, they don't want to serve as human shields for Hamas now. Yeah, and, and, and many, many more, tens of thousands more would have already evacuated had it not been for the active efforts of Hamas to keep them there against their will. Uh, these are the brave, you know, civilians who were able, fortunate enough, smart enough, or fast enough, I don't know, who were able to get out. That's good for them and their families. Uh, they'll be able to return. You know, I'm hearing calls of Nakba and all kinds of uh, Palestinian nonsense and propaganda. Let's put that to rest. Okay, mm -hmm. there's no movement of people in order to do anything but fight Hamas, eradicate Hamas. And we have said to the Palestinians, and, and it's in written form in each and every message, and we say it when we call them as well. Vacate, evacuate to the south, and return once we tell you that it's safe. When the combat is done and we've been, when we finished Hamas in northern Gaza, then you'll be able to return. Yeah, we, we hope the, this imagery helps turn the tide of all the criticism and pressure on you that, uh, about uh, not caring for the, the civilians in Gaza. I know uh, uh, we just appreciate your, your time here. Uh, is there anything you can tell us? You, you've gone in, divided the Gaza Strip in half, dealing with Gaza City, the northern end first. Is there a plan in place in dealing with Hamas and Islamic Jihad in the south? Yes, there is. There's a plan of totally dismantling Hamas from all of its military assets and to make sure that strategically, long term, uh, there won't be flow of weapons into Gaza. There won't be any infrastructure, organizational or military, that will be able to challenge the safety of Israeli civilians uh, and that there will be no political rule of any Islamist extremist organization. Uh, all of that is clear, has been defined and will be implemented right now because of the sensitivities, the complexity of the battlefield. We're focusing only on the north, even though we could simultaneously send additional, uh, div additional divisions to the south and do the same things that we're doing in the north. The only reason that we're just focusing on the north is because we have told the civilians to evacuate to the south. That is why. We have the fire capabilities and the combat capabilities to do all of it at once. We want to focus on getting civilians out, dismantling Hamas in the north, and then we will attend to further business with Hamas. This will end with a defeated Hamas. Yeah, I think uh, you've just uh, given us some good, uh, some good news uh, there of, of the strategy of why the north first and the south. But uh, we just appreciate your time, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan Conrykus, international spokesman for the IDF. All the best, my friend. Thank you, Pastor. And I'd just like to say thank you for what you're doing and thank you for spreading our perspective, the truth, and for informing people around the world. It is tough times. Whenever there's war, all of the the crazies, they jump out of the woodwork and you get all kind of extremists that have a grudge against Israel, uh, now is the time, now there's really the time, uh, to support the state of Israel, to speak up for truth, to speak up for what's decent, uh, and uh, to apply, hold elected officials accountable for their actions and to make sure that they are on the right side of history uh, and on the right side of morals when it comes to supporting Israel in our extremely just fight to defend ourselves and our communities. Victory will be when we hear 
the unburdened and beautiful sound of Israeli kids playing in their home, uh, in their backyards, in the kibbutzim that have been uh, ravished by Hamas. That's when we will know that we will uh, that we have won, and that is what we're aiming for. And uh, the Christian embassy wants to help build those playgrounds, my friend. Yes, and and even uh, you know Christians will. Help in Gaza. We'll play, build playgrounds for children in Gaza too. We love exactly. them. But we, exactly. Yeah. There should be playgrounds in Gaza. There should be roads and hospitals and schools and an economy and a future perspective. The people should have something to live and hope for. Not jihad and martyrdom, but honor and sustainability and prospects and education and be able to provide livelihood for their families. We know the recipe for success. We know the recipe for prosperity. We know how good that is for, for peace. We want that, but that can only happen after Hamas is gone and after the entire international community understands that this will be a global effort and it can be a shining example of a transformation from the darkest of dark places now under Hamas to perhaps a beacon of success and Arab prosperity. I believe it can happen, and with the help of good people around the world who have good intentions and the capacity to do so, I think it can happen, and I really hope to be to, to live and see it happen with my own eyes. Mm. Thank Be-a-met. you. Be-a-met, so true, and Kol uh, Tov, Jonathan, all the best to you. Thank you, sir. Yeah, I uh, appreciate the time of uh, IDF spokesman Jonathan Kongrykus. He's uh, very busy on all these major networks, but wanted to speak to a Christian audience today through the ICJ webinar series. And I think there was something of a headline there uh, towards the end, a very important takeaway throughout. But uh, when I asked him about the strategy of dealing with the North first, there have been some IDF generals saying, well, that's the part of the Hamas command and such, so we're going there. But uh, I think this was the clearest statement I've heard from any Israeli official, whether military or political, that they are uh, the strategy, it's very clear, deal with the North first, to send uh, get as many of the civilians in the South as you can, where they're safer. There are still bombing campaigns against known Hamas and Islamic Jihad targets in the South. And then they will just move south and deal with the same problem there to dismantle Hamas throughout the Gaza Strip. What happens with the civilians? Do the ones from the north get to go back? And how ruined will their homes be? That is probably very much up to Hamas, how how much they're going to uh, oversee the ruin of their own people and the ruin of Gaza City and the whole area, and how long this takes. The fact of these uh, Palestinians carrying uh, white flags and with their hands up uh, yesterday. Actually, there were around 15,000 Gazans who evacuated yesterday. Every day, Israel's given them a four-hour window period in the middle of the day to move south, and it's increasing more and more every day. There's an estimated 300,000 or so civilians still in the north. We'll see how many more go. But again, I've never seen so uh, I've never seen in 30-some years of full-time advocacy for Israel following events every day, uh, a, a Palestinian waving a white flag. I've never seen it. And I've been at this a long time. 
and for a whole line of thousands of them to be doing this, it, it was quite dramatic and even historic and shows they're, they're willing to separate themselves out for the sake of their own lives, separate them from the Hamas agenda of using them as human shields. And I think we want to show this clip for just a minute that the IDF uh, uh, Arabic spokesman released yesterday, if we can show. Okay, thank you. And other than that, uh, Jonathan Conreich is uh, confirming that the IDF is just a few blocks from the Shifa Hospital out along the coast. He said, "My, uh, uh, the way I assessed it and, and mapped it out was uh, sound. Okay, we want to go to our second guest, IDF Major uh, in the Reserves, Elliot Chadoff. He's been a guest on the webinar at our feast, other events in the past as well. He lives in the north, part of the IDF Home Front Command, and is is much more focused on Hezbollah, South Lebanon, Syria, some of the Iranian proxy threats in that area. But uh, he was recently called up to go down to the Southern Command, the Gaza border front, and to help oversee the current campaign in Gaza. Uh, Elliot Chadoff uh, has been in the IDF. Uh, for over 35 years. He's written IDF field manuals, training manuals. He's a consultant uh, to many uh, governments and uh, organizations on terrorism, counterterrorism, and uh, as I said, still serves in the IDF Home Front Command, but is now uh, in uniform back down, called out of reserves, back down on the Gaza front. Let's hear from Elliot, Major Elliot Chadel. Elliot, it's great to have you on our weekly webinar. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure, Dave. Yeah, now you've uh, taken a break uh, from the, uh, um, the command bunker, the Southern Command. Can you tell us a little about your role there? You, I mean, you live in the North and yes. and sort of specialize in the, the threats on the northern border area, Hezbollah and such, but you were called to the Southern Command uh, to, to deal with Gaza wine. Um, well, one of my specialties uh, in, in the military is population behavior. And uh, in, in all of what's going on, I think it's important to, to remember that we're fighting Hamas in Gaza because of who they are, of course. But in order to return the population that we've evacuated from that area to there's no better word than normal. It'll never be normal you know, in, in the, the pre-war sense, um, but to, to help them get back on their feet uh, and in their homes. Mm -hmm. So there, there's an entire segment of the Gaza division that's working with the civilian population, with, with the towns, with their institutions. Mm -hmm. Of course, they're all scattered around the country and, and evacuated to hotels. Um, but the overwhelming majority of them want to come back. Mm. And that's good to hear. I, I'm yeah. wondering about that. Uh, so, so part, part of what we're doing is a keep keeping things working and liaison work with them 
uh, to allow them to come back, and, and some have already. Mm. You, some have already. You restore deterrence on the Gaza side of the border. You restore trust and uh, uh, insecurity. Well, we haven't restored. We haven't restored deterrence. We're simply feeding yeah. them. But uh, yeah, you know, d- deterrence involves convincing them not to do it. We're past the convincing stage. That's right. That's right. Um, look, uh, we know that Hezbollah in the north had these tunnels and they had a certain playbook of going, storming across the border on motorcycles, yeah. on paragliders to take villages, kill, take hostages, hold the territory. And Hamas seemed to have uh, just borrowed from their playbook. And, and uh, how surprised were you at what happened on October 7th? I think... I was as I was as surprised as everyone about the scale. Um, not surprised in the least that the uh, the fence was breached and that they used the techniques that they did. Let's keep in mind that that they didn't as so much borrow Hezbollah's playbook as both Hezbollah and Hamas are working out of Iran's playbook. So, what Iran taught Hezbollah, they taught Hamas. Uh, in terms of what they did in terms as the savagery and brutality, I wasn't surprised at all. Anybody who's been watching these people for you know for the past two, three decades knows that they have they didn't do anything on October seventh that they haven't already done somewhere else, just not on that on that scale. Yeah. yeah um there are some reports, some analysts saying that there was some sort of coordinated attack on both the Gaza and the Lebanese borders where Hamas and Hezbollah would have done this in a coordinated uh, way, but that Hamas may have jumped the gun, is sort of really enticed by that music festival, especially that they knew was there. Okay, so I I don't think so. I don't see it that way. Um First of all, they, they attacked on Shabbat Simchat Torah, the last day of the Jewish holiday season uh, that starts, of course, on Rosh Hashanah three weeks earlier. Um, I think the date was chosen in advance. Now, the, I, I, in, in this case, I, I believe uh, Hezbollah leader Nukasa Nasrallah in the speech that he, he made, he said you know, they weren't involved and they... They weren't consulted in terms of, of the timing. I, I believe that's true. I I also believe that um, the party may have been part of the overall planning, but I don't think that was the critical point of the decision. And there, there there's a great debate whether they knew about the party in advance and they didn't. Uh, it's my firm belief that they that they did uh, because of some of the things that that they did there. For example, showing up in Israeli police uniforms and setting up roadblocks around it. And it just doesn't happen at random. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so so I, I believe they knew about it, but I don't think that was the the determining factor. What I believe happened is that and when I say believe, it's it's more than simply, you know, a belief in the air. Um they planned a rerun on a much larger scale of what happened in 2006. And of course the war in 2006, the 34 day war with Hezbollah, what we call the second Lebanon war, many people don't remember or, or don't know that it actually started in Gaza with the incident with Gilad Shalit mm. a few weeks earlier. 
Mm. And when when Shalit was taken, the army was sent down there and went into Gaza, in part to find him and rescue him, and in part to to punish Hamas for for the operation. While that was going on, Hezbollah started the, op- the, the the stuff up here in the middle of July. They wanted to do the same thing on the northern border, right? And and they they tried to. I mean, they they killed mm. the soldiers and took their bodies, uh, but it was the same the same sort of an operation planned for the north. The Israeli military, in error, in my opinion, and not just in my opinion decided in 2006 not to call up the reserves. It ended the operation in Gaza and moved the army up north to deal with Hezbollah. That was the beginning of, of the Second Lebanon War, but it basically took all the pressure off Hamas as, as the army shifted from the south to the north. I think that they saw that as the model. They would do it again. Let the army get organized in the south and even begin the operation in the south, and then Hezbollah would start on a large scale in the north, and the army would be caught between two impossible fronts to deal with. Much to their surprise, two things happened that I think, had they known they would have ha- that, that it would happen, they wouldn't have done it, but they assumed the opposite. One is that the, this country that was greatly divided politically over the issues of the judicial reform and the opposition and the opposition to the government, and as you know, been going on here for months, ended abruptly, at least for the time being, on that Saturday morning. Uh, before noon already, the heads of the protest movement said, we're putting this off until afterwards. Yes. Everybody go, everybody, you know, you called up, you go, and that sort of thing. And the response was was according to another... They unified this country in a way that I don't think I haven't seen it unified on this level since I moved here in 1983. Uh, and I can tell you, and today I'm I'm home in, in civilian clothes. I I came home yesterday. I'm going back tomorrow in uniform. It is virtually impossible for a soldier in uniform to buy a meal in this country. Mm, yes, <laughs> everyone wants to feed you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the Jewish response to disaster. Eat something. Yeah. It's like you know, literally walking down the street, restaurant owners and 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 uh, you know shopkeepers here, here, eat. But I just ate. I don't care. Eat this too. Uh, and but it's really the country is com- pulled pulled together completely. The second thing is that the army immediately, the IDF immediately mobilized the reserves to the tune of the largest reserve call up proportionately since the Yom Kippur War fifty years ago. And numerically, even greater than that. Oh, yeah. And the the official numbers are in the four hundred plus thousand range. So, and and a good portion of that was sent up north. So Hezbollah is now sitting there saying, "Oops, okay." So and and now Hezbollah is basically caught because they can't look as if they're doing nothing, but on the other hand. They don't really want to get involved and have happened to them what's happening to Hamas in, in Gaza right now. Mm, mm, yeah. yeah. Um, I think one of the big differences between 2006 and now is uh, Ehud Olmert was the prime minister and Amir Peretz was defense minister, a trade union leader who uh, they didn't even know when to take the caps off the spike, the, the binoculars. That was certainly part of it. Uh, the chief of staff was a former Air Force commander who believed he could do it all from the air. 
which that, by the way, that alludes, right? Uh, he, he, they relied too much on the air air campaign. Yes, and and here in the air force is very very heavily involved in the campaign in Gaza, yeah. but it's being directed from the ground, yeah. and it's being used in conjunction with a massive ground offensive, mm. which is basically what the air force should be doing. Now, yeah. I got to tell you, as a, as a ground forces officer, I love the idea of winning the war from the air. Uh, but it it doesn't work. Yeah, too clinical, and and yeah. you got to have grunts on the ground. Yep. Um, let's talk about the how much progress do you think the IDF has made in the in Gaza, especially the northern half? Is it going according to plan, according to timetable? Um, as far as I can see, it's going completely according to plan and timetable. Uh, in some cases, a little ahead, and in some cases, a little behind. But that's that's the nature of warfare. We're working very carefully and methodically, uh, and and for this, uh, in part because we're not being pressured heavily by the United States, although that's starting to mm -hmm. kind of you know inch its way up. Uh, because pressure means moving fast. Moving fast means more casualties. Mm -hmm. uh, part of it also is because of the hostages. We don't want. We, we don't want to go in guns blazing in a place where they might be. Mm. So uh, essentially, the slow, careful work, um, combined arms, armor, infantry, the engineers are playing a very heavy role, especially with the tunnels. Um, it's, it's really being done, I would say, by the book in the sense of this is how combined forces meant to operate. Of course, if, if you're operating in an urban environment, uh, slow and methodical is the way to work because otherwise you don't know where they're hiding. You don't, and especially with the tunnel system, they can pop up from anywhere. Uh, it's, it, it's a, it's a slow process. It, it, I'll, I'll put it differently. It's not about conquering territory, let's say in the classic world war II sense of, you know, sweep in and take it and, and drive the enemy out. They've gone to ground and they need to be dugout basically mm -hmm. yeah i i've noticed uh, i know there's war maps because of the ukraine war the, everyone's sort of gotten involved in drawing right. war maps where the front lines are and i i think they're not so helpful for the idf right now showing where your forward advances are but i saw one where uh you the, came in from the north on the coast Went in in the center and came up within the uh, three or four blocks along the sea. Yeah. And I, I help us understand. Number one, uh, the sea means that Hamas can't attack you from that flank, only from straight ahead or from the east. Number mm -hmm. two, uh, uh, you've got the I, the Israeli navy just offshore helping in the advance. Number three, there's probably fewer tunnels, terror tunnels right along the coast because it's a higher water table and it's probably the fastest way to Shifa Hospital. Am I right? Where where the command bunker is for, okay. uh, you know. All, all of the above are correct. Add to that, it, it prevents anybody from them escaping by sea. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a rubber boat at night, put a few people in and, and, and the distances here are, are, are minimal. It means no raids, no terrorist attacks by sea, which they've done a number of times on the northern end of, of, of the Strip around Zikim. Um, and surrounded is surrounded. It means they can't get anything in. They can't bring in more arms. And 
a lot of a lot of what they have they've smuggled in by sea. Uh, there's also an important symbolism. We have you surrounded. There's a there's a psychology. You know, war war involves psychology as well. Uh, so we're there. You don't know where the next drive is going to come from. It, it, you now have a 360 degree perimeter to worry about. Uh, we are operating, and and this is no military secret inside beyond just the lines of the brigades and, and the battalions. We have lots of special forces type operations that, that are going on. Um, and in addition to doing the damage that, that it's meant to do, it's keeping keeping them off balance, not knowing precisely where it's coming from. Have you seen signs that Hamas no longer really has command and control where it can respond here or there, any sort of organized? Is it just random? attacks wherever they can? Uh, they were always somewhat decentralized. Mm. So their 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 defense was based on um, their own hard points that were controlled or commanded by, by locals, you know, person on, on the spot. In defense, there, there isn't a lot of movement involved there. It's a small space. Um, we've done some damage to the tunnels. They can't move above ground. Mm. That That's for sure. So they're not in a great position to to shift forces from one place to the other, and we're slowly taking those those hard points. Uh, we we took two or three of them in the last few days. Mm-hmm. I I know we've talked uh, in the past about uh, Hezbollah, the drone threat on the north, and you said, look, uh, the our technology, our drones are better than theirs. We're ahead of them. Have you seen some good innovations for the IDF that is really helping in this battle? Actually, two things. One is is the, um, we, and we, see, we saw this more with Hamas, but we're seeing it with Hezbollah as well. We're picking up their drones. We're, we're taking them out. Doesn't mean we're going to get every last one of them in warfare. There's no, no absolute in 100%. Uh, Hamas used... Very, very cheap drones on October 7th, and they used it to, to drop munitions on uh, on some of the high-tech equipment that we had and on tanks and vehicles. And those, those are very difficult to stop. I mean, these are the kind you, of drones you buy in, you know, AliExpress and Best Buy for, for 10 bucks. Um, so we've come up with, with other innovations, like putting steel mesh screens over the hatches of tanks which uh, they were doing in Ukraine. I think you just barred that, but there's, uh, I think these D9 bulldozers, it's it's a low-tech solution that clears mines and also uncovers the tunnels. Yes, D9s, I, I've seen them in, in, in action. They are very impressive. They're a sight to behold. They won't help so much up in Lebanon. The terrain's too hilly and rocky and all, but in in the sandy soil of Gaza, they're they're a perfect solution to head the. They, thing. they also work in rocky soil. They they'll move anything you want moved. Yeah, they for everyone. These are these massive caterpillar D nine bulldozers. They're they're huge, and I guess they've shielded them so that they're bulletproof. And uh, and I know there were always the whole BDS movement has tried to corner caterpillar to stop selling yeah. to Israel, but. Israel probably invested a lot in these just for this sort of thing. Absolutely, no. Our 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 heavy equipment um, engineer units have been using them for many many years, uh, and and for all sorts of things. I mean, opening opening roads, mm. uh, 
or pathways for tanks. It's not not simply destructive. Yeah. Before we go back to the northern border, anything you can share about the hostages right now, the search for them? Can we expect a rescue? What What do you know? The search is on. The search is on. Um, you know, we, we rescued one one soldier, one female soldier. Um, I don't want to go into any specific detail other than to say that it's a very, very high priority for the, the government and for the military. Uh, the head of the CIA was was here and went to Qatar to, to get involved in that. And uh, I think that, that one of the things that could get some sort of, I don't want to call it a ceasefire, but some sort of a break would be a deal that, that gets the hostages out. It's that high a priority for us. Um, but at the same time, there's no question the military is looking for them. And if it if it manages to find, we'll, just like with the, the soldier we got out, we'll, we'll go in and take them out. Yeah. Uh, one last question on the, the Gaza front. Uh, uh, we saw this very dramatic footage of uh, hundreds and hundreds of Palestinians from northern Gaza heading down Saladin Street towards the southern part where Israel says it's it's not safe. It's not a safe zone. It's safer because right. of the intensity of the battle in the north. I don't ever remember. I, I've been full-time advocate for Israel uh, for over 30 years. I don't ever remember seeing a pal one Palestinian waving a white flag. That was almost historic and a real sign. There's a separation between Hamas and and the civilians. Well, our tanks needed to protect them from Hamas mm. because Hamas has been murdering anybody who tries to get out and go, go out of the northern part to the south. And, and there are clips of that also of them just... Mm wind up and, and execute her on the streets for having the the temerity to want to get out of the battle zone. So the, the white flags were, were um, I think, symbolic in the sense that they're much more afraid of Hamas than they are of us. Yes. Um, okay, going back to the north, uh, it seems to me Nasrallah's speech, you mentioned it earlier, it, it was sort of a turning point in this war for me where he basically said, we're not going to go all out war against Israel right now. We're going to hold the troops that are here with some, uh, you know, artillery duels right along the border, maybe fire a few rockets a little deeper, but he doesn't want all out war. That seemed to be a real turning point. And, and the follow on question is that this gives the balls now in Israel's court. Do you expect once at a certain stage where Gaza is in hand, that uh, the IDF will go deal with Hezbollah in Lebanon? I think it's a very high probability, but there are a lot of variables. Uh, one of them being what cost ultimately we pay for the Gaza victory, whether the country is ready for, for another war after that. A second to the Americans. Uh, the if, if we move north at our initiative, does American support evaporate? Um, does the, the moving of the, these two aircraft carriers and this nuclear sub into the theater of the Middle East, does it signal the Americans? Are they just protecting their assets and their soldiers, or, or is it uh, a sign that they're ready to deal with Iran? Okay, so 
that is, that's the $64,000 question. Um, America dealing with Iran is, is in America's interest also. So I, I would say, I would take the word only out of your question. It's not only American interests, but it's certainly American interests. Mm -hmm. The the big question here that I don't have the answer to because it's way above my pay grade, and I don't know if anybody knows the answer, but somebody might, is are those forces there to keep Hezbollah and Iran out of the fight, period? Or are they there to keep Iran and Hezbollah out of the fight until Israel decides to deal with them? Mm -hmm. And that's that's a question that we're only going to be able to know the answer to when when the time comes. Yeah, and uh, I guess the the third front, uh, just uh, a quick assessment in uh, Judea, Samaria, the West Bank. Do you think the IDF has a good hand on on all the troublemakers there and the terrorists? They're digging tunnels. They're trying to make rockets. Is the IDF using this opportunity now? following the October 7 massacres to really uh, uh, mow the grass, as they say, in the West Bank? Certainly, we, we've picked up hundreds um, where uh, intelligence is working. And the, it's not just a numbers game. It's who's being picked up. It's what's happening along with them being picked up. Here again, I, I, would, I wouldn't use the word all, but I would say that the uh, Judean-Samaria front is the is a third but very much part of what's going on today hamas certainly is sending messages to its people and there's no shortage of hamas terrorists in in judea and samaria that they should be picking up the pace and they should you know, be taking part um and some of them are but i think what's happening in judea and samaria in, is somewhat similar to what's happening in lebanon which is that they're stopping and looking and saying, you know what, we don't really want to have happen to us what's happening right now in Gaza. Mm -hmm. And the diehards are, but not all of them are diehards. Yeah. I, I'm a little surprised that, uh, you know, we haven't seen a replay of May 2021 when Iran helped stir it, but there were even rioting in Israeli cities, mixed uh, Jewish Arab cities. It was very horrible for everyone to see. But I'm surprised that we haven't seen a bigger uprising in the West Bank. I'm not. Um, with the West, look, the West Bank is a question of the two different issues. Is a question of, of our military being there and, and exerting control, exercising control. In Israel, I think that um, there are two things going on. One, true horror on the part of many Israeli Arabs. Mm. I, I don't want to quote numbers because I don't, you know. I don't think statistics matter here. The overwhelming majority were horrified by what they saw. They were repressed by October 7th. Yeah. Yes. Good. Uh, remember, Israeli Arabs were murdered by Hamas that day also. Yes. 20 Bedouin. Uh, yes. East Jerusalem so, Arab bus drivers at the music yes, festival. Yes, yeah. yes. Right? So you said I'm Arab, I'm Arab, and they still and shot they, him. Um, exactly. So you're the average and, and beyond... Israeli Arab, who may or may not be ambivalent about Israel, looks at this and says, I don't want to have any part of it. And if I'm going to live here afterwards, I certainly can't show any sympathy for it. So that's one. Two, the Israel has, is, is projecting a response 
particularly in Gaza, but also up north. Uh, in I don't want to put it in absolute terms, but I'm going to, I'll, I'll, I'll use the terms in, in absolute. In an absolute. We just don't care anymore. Mm. And that also has a deterrent effect on, not on the hardcore again, not on the diehards, but on the ones who are a little bit you know, further toward, let's say, the center who might have come out and demonstrated mm-hmm. you know, the, the last time around, but now say, you know what, maybe I'll just stay home. Yeah. Uh, you know, so so I think that that's part of what we're seeing too. Yeah, I, I know for decades. I mean, this was Dennis Ross and Martin Indyk, the peace Oslo peace processors. They said that uh, the Arabs accepted America as a as a, the mediator in the conflict because they were the only ones who could rein in Israel when it was necessary. But you're right. saying right now, uh, no one can tell us to stop. No, and and the truth is, um, look. We, the, the events, the, the massacre, and the savagery yeah. of October seventh has crystallized everybody into you're either with the Nazis or you're against them. There, there isn't a lot of gray in between, you know, on that line anymore. Uh, you, you know, you, you have the head of the UN, and you know, it, it didn't happen in a vacuum, but we know where he came from. Mm. The, the good people look at this and say, I can't have any part of this, no matter what I thought before about policies and things like that. Even, so that, Bernie, even Bernie Sanders. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. My point. Okay. I think the squad uh, is up, upset with him. Of course they are, because they're, they are fundamentally anti-Israel and believe in its destruction. Okay, Bernie Sanders, for all of my disagreement with virtually everything he says, uh, isn't anti-Israel on the level of Israel needs to be destroyed? Yeah, yeah. And that's that's where the line is now. Yeah. Okay, okay, so every everyone on this side of it realizes what they're facing, mm-hmm. and they can criticize Israeli policy and, and, and all of that, but they're still on this side of the line. And everybody else is on the other side of the line. Yeah. All right, uh, we're going to have to stop there. Major Elliot Chadoff, IDF Reserves, who's been called up. He's in the home front command uh, in the northern sector, but he's called down to the south to help with uh, the Israeli population, restoring trust in the government, in the in the military and resilience. And uh, it's a tough job, Elliot, because the, this whole imagery of home invasions and the savagery in your own bedroom, your own bathroom, your own kitchen, living room, uh, but God bless you in this mission, and uh, and we're going to be there with you, helping to rebuild the communities in the South that were so devastated. Great. We'll need it. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for your time. God bless you. Okay. We want to thank our guests today, IDF uh, spokesman uh, Jonathan Conrykus and Major Elliot Chadoff. Very good takeaways from this last guest. High probability that Israel may take more aggressive action against Hezbollah in the north. Very interesting analysis between what happened in 2006 on the Gaza and northern front and how that might have been a model for a replay, but the IDF made the right moves in mobilizing and facing this uh, finally the way it should. And uh, this decentralized control of Hamas, I thought that was interesting. And the IDF says, they keep repeating it, we are going after field commanders for Hamas. These are the guys in the little areas 
that control their certain pockets of Hamas uh, defense lines, and uh, they're being taken out one by one. That's our time on today's webinar. Join us tomorrow for uh, the the charges of war crimes in Gaza with Professor Avi Bell. God bless you from Jerusalem.